0: I am so on board with all of these, Anne. I feel like you have looked into my literary soul and you get what I'm about. So
1: I'm I'm going to take that as a compliment and not as a stalker complaint. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, readers, I'm Anne Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 66. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we do that, I wanted to ask that if you enjoyed this podcast, would you please take a minute and rate and review it on iTunes? Just go to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and let me know there what you think of the show. The ratings and especially those reviews truly help your fellow book lovers find the show on iTunes. So thank you for spreading the book love. I'm so excited about today's completely awesome guest, Megan Tietz, fellow podcaster at Sorta Awesome. Some things to know about Megan. She's an Enneagram 9, she's a textbook ENFP, she loves, and I mean loves, The Great Gatsby, and she is a bright, bubbly joy to talk to. In this episode, we talk personality, broken hearts, and books that are shiny and sparkly. We also really dig into some practical stuff, like how working on a podcast affects our reading life, and what that reading life truly looks like right now let's get to it. Megan, welcome to the show. Hi, Anne. I am so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, I can't wait to talk to you. Since the beginning, I thought, you know who would be a good guest, Megan Teets, but I didn't want to bombard the listeners with my, you know, personal and internet friends. And <laughs> I, I you know, I don't know what I've been waiting for, but I've been like saving up the good stuff like you for a long time. And I'm glad that the day is here.
0: Oh, thank you. I really am so excited to be here. I have listened to every episode of what should I read next and made my list, made new list all the time. So (laughs) I'm so excited. I actually finally get to talk about my list.
1: (laughs) I can't wait because one of your favorites, I believe your lifetime favorite, you've talked about at your blog, the, Mm -hmm. you know, may it rest in peace, sort of crunchy.net, but people can still go there, right? Even though you're not updating. That's right. All the archives are
0: still up. Yes.
1: So I remember knowing that you were good people when I read your story about teaching high schoolers, that book that we will get to later. And I know a lot of listeners already know you from Sorta Awesome, and you do have some wonderful book episodes, but still, I'm, I'm
0: glad to have you here. Yeah, yeah. And well, we were excited to have you come on sort of awesome and talk books with us. And so yes, it's one of my very favorite things to talk about. So I'm super excited.
1: Well, those are just some of the best book nerd hours when you can spend a whole hour just absolutely sinking in to the topic. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. Okay, so you love to talk books. I don't remember you ever talking about the rhythms of your reading life. Can you
0: fill us in? Sure, you bet. Well, like many of your guests. And I fell in love with reading as a child. I was more than once, I was the child at the dinner table who got in trouble and had to, you know, have my mother say, put the book away. It's rude to read at the dinner table. So I am a longtime fan of reading so much so that when it was time to kind of grow up and go out and make my way into the world, I went to college and majored in English and then was a high school English teacher for several years before we started our family. So reading has always been a backbone of my life. It definitely changed after children came along. I had to find ways to make space, be intentional about making space for reading, particularly after our twins, who are almost four, came along and I found myself surprised to be the mom of four. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes. So now I have to tell you, I was one of those people who was super, super resistant to like ebooks and to Kindles. I just. The um, actual practice of holding a, a book in your hand and flipping the pages, all of that was so real and concrete to me. And I just couldn't imagine finding as much um, joy and inspiration in a book that you just read on a device. But after the twins were born, all of that changed, and I read almost exclusively on my Kindle or Kindle app now. Um, a few audiobooks thrown in here and there. Most of the time, if I have my earbuds in, though, I'm listening to a podcast. So yeah, that's kind of where my reading habits have fallen now as I have really kind of settled into life as a mom of four and somebody who is creating podcasts many hours of the week.
1: Yes, having podcasts in your ears is kind of a professional hazard. It definitely is. (laughs) I'd like to talk about that Kindle for a minute. So I was resistant as well, not in the nose in the air, how dare they kind of sense. But in the I really like the feel of a book in my hand sense, and other people can do what they wanted, but I would just like to stick to the paper. But our friend Lee Kramer wrote a post just a couple weeks ago, and we'll put it in show notes about how she read 313 books in 2016. And Mm -hmm. she did explain, the tone is really nice. It's not like I'm better than you, but it's like I had a lot going on. I read as like a means of self-therapy. I'm an introvert. In times of transition, I read a lot. But also, she said, she used her Kindle a ton that mm-hmm. year just because of what she was reading. And I always try to get the paper whenever I can. And Kindle is kind of a last resort. And I do need to use it a lot because a lot of times publishers will sell and send advanced copies. And if I want to read it, I need to read it on my device. And they're often PDFs, which is kind of a pain. So I think when right. I'm reading what I choose, I'm not going to choose the Kindle. But in her post, she mentioned that a lot of people had told her they feel propelled forward by the just you just swipe or you tap and you move to the next page, and it keeps you in forward motion. And that makes you read more. And she said, I don't know the science, but I think there's something to that. So she inspired me to make one of my goals for 2017 be to read more on my Kindle, not just for the convenience, but for the forward motion factor.
0: So I'm curious to see how that goes. You know, I love that. I've never thought about it that way, but I will say as I'm sitting here thinking about it, it is far easier for me to actually like stick a bookmark in a paper book and set it down than it is when I'm reading on my Kindle. I think that she's really onto something there with the forward momentum of just the feel of the swiping up to the next page. So I can totally get that.
1: Yeah, I was I was wondering if you'd experienced that yourself. Yeah, I had never thought of that. But when she said it, I thought, huh. That kind of makes sense. And I'm willing to give it a try and find out if that actually is true for me. So I've been reading my Kindle a little more this year. Okay, Megan, I'm super curious. So this is going to be hard to tease out because you were teaching English to high schoolers during formative years where you were, you know, everybody changes a lot in their 20s. But You also had the experience of teaching English, a subject you love. I'm wondering how teaching English to high schoolers, some of whom I get the impression were kind of resistant to the whole, like, let's read books thing. I'm Uh wondering
0: how that changed how you approach reading and how it shaped your reading life. One thing that teaching, of course anybody who's taught any kind of material knows this. One thing that teaching does is it compels you to dig deeper. And so I would pick up books that I had, you know, kind of given a cursory read to either in college or as a student myself. And um as you know, a high school student, a middle school student, it makes you really like you have to be prepared. And I really was challenged to dig in and pull out the themes that were going to grab their attention. So I feel like more than anything, I got to know literature on a far deeper level with that challenge of how do I make this accessible to you? How do I make this not only accessible, but what can I do? What, what can I do on my end to make it exciting? And like, they can't wait to dig into this piece of literature that we're going to read and discuss. So it was a, it was a big challenge, but it ultimately was a really fun challenge as well. Do you
1: think some of those experiences you had in the classroom impact the way you read a book on the couch at 4pm on a Tuesday?
0: You know, I think that this is something that actually comes naturally to me as an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs system. I'm so driven by seeking out the big ideas. I do think that that has stayed with me, that I tend to step back from, you know, the narrative of fiction or the actual prose of a nonfiction piece. I tend to really easily pull the lens back and think about and process as I'm reading what are the bigger themes that are happening here.
1: How does having a podcast affect your
0: reading life? And the reason I'm asking
1: is sometimes you have people on the show who are great with books and basically they give you rapid fire recommendations for an hour. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that that is a plentiful abundance of to be read (laughs) titles you have. Has podcasting made a difference or, you know, just any kind of mass deluge onto your Uh reading
0: list? Has that changed the way you read and what you read? I am just going to be super confessional right now <laughs> with you and your thousands of listeners. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a secret. In some ways, unfortunately, doing uh, podcasting as, as you know, a, basically a full-time job is what this has all turned into for me. And having people come on and talk about books so often has almost made me a lazy reader because I hear really smart women talking about books they really loved. And I feel like, okay, now I feel like I know about that book and I don't need to read it. (laughs) (laughs) So I know we're going to get to this later in the show, but that's actually one of my big personal challenges to myself this year is to actually dig in and read more of the books that everybody's buzzing about right now, instead of just being happy to know what the book was about and how it impacted somebody on the show. That's interesting because some people
1: have been on the podcast and they have said, like uh, Sarah Stewart Holland, I remember specifically, and I know there have been other readers, especially women, I wonder if that means something, have said that they want to try really hard not to just read the books everybody's buzzing about because they're buzzing Uh about them, but to intentionally choose what's right for them. So Mm -hmm. that's really interesting to hear you say that, to each her own. Yes, that's right. That's right. Okay, that's too funny. I'm dying to hear if there are exceptions, like some books you hear women talk about who loved a book and talk about it just enough or in a certain way where instead of thinking like, ah, oh, check that box. I know enough. I, I you know, I heard the Cliff's Notes version. You say right. like, oh, I've got to experience that for myself. All right. Well, I'm just dying to get to your books and I've already hinted at why. You know how this works. You tell me three books you love, one book you hate, and what you've been reading lately. And we talk about what you should read next. Want a confidence boost? Take coloring your hair at home to the next level with Madison Reed. Get gorgeous professional hair color delivered to your door starting at $22. This is game-changing color you can do at home, and look as if you just came from the salon without the time or expense. At Madison Reed, master colorists blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones to create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. What Should I Read Next listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with the code READ. Use the code READ R-E-A-D, at madison-read, R-E-E-D, dot com. Readers, if you love What Should I Read Next, you're going to love being part of our Patreon community. That's where we share bonus episodes, including follow-ups with previous guests, interesting conversations that were cut for time reasons, and One Great Book Style episodes where I tell you all about recent reads that I adore. In addition to the extra audio, you get access to our super secret spreadsheet vault with the full list of all the books guests love and my three recommendations from every episode in an easy-to-search format. And on occasion, we get together live online for Ask Us Anything-style conversations and events like our 90-minute fall book preview and summer reading guide unboxing. Join for all these perks and to be part of the community behind What Should I Read Next. Go to patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash whatshouldireadnext to become a member today. patreon.com slash whatshouldireadnext. Okay,
0: are you ready to dive in? I am. I'm super ready. All right, Megan, what's book one? Okay. The first book is a book that anybody who knows me or is familiar with anything I've said on the internet ever <laughs> <laughs> knows is my very favorite. It's uh, it's a little American novel. Maybe your listeners have heard of it. F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby. Tell us everything. It's, it's one of my very favorite. It's like my go-to forever favorite piece of literature. And as I thought about it, I, I kind of realized I've really loved it in layers through the years. I first read it when I was a junior in high school. And honestly, I think one of the biggest problems with um, middle school and, and high school students as they're reading the classics, you know, a lot of times when you're a junior in high school, you do, you read it because you have to and pass the tests on it or whatever. And it doesn't really land with you. And I think a big problem is because at that age, you are still working with a really underdeveloped um, sense of the abstract. So it's really that transition age cognitively when you're moving from concrete thinking to abstract thinking. And so I think when I first read Gatsby as a junior in high school, I was still still had not really developed those abstract thinking skills. I was concentrating on the concrete, like the plot, the narrative. And I just kind of wrote it off like, okay, Jay Gatsby was like super obsessed with Daisy Buchanan. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's all the hijinks that ensue after that, right? (laughs) Well, then the next layer is then I read it as a junior in college. By then, of course, I had lived a little bit more I'd gone through a really splendid heartbreak, like the kind that just shatters your heart. That is such an ENFP thing to say. <laughs> splendid heartbreak. It really was, though. <laughs> <laughs> One of the best stories of my life, for sure. So I'm so glad it happened.
1: <laughs> that might be a different podcast.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to hear. Okay, but, but okay, carry on. And so most importantly, cognitively, I'd really developed that abstract thinking. And so then by by the time I was a junior in college, I could really see the abstract themes of love and longing, but also the bigger things like class and classism and dreams and America, like what Fitzgerald was saying about the American dream. I finally like got it when I was a junior in college. And then as an adult, kind of coming full circle and teaching juniors in high school, That was, like I was saying, that was when I really dug in and really explored that driving message of Gatsby, the whole idea of the pursuit of wanting to be better than what you were born into, but at the same time, how like we're so deeply anchored to our pasts. We have that baggage from our past that relentlessly pursues us. Um, So all of those big ideas, the universal themes of Gatsby, I love it so much. I actually do reread it almost every year in the spring. For some reason, maybe because I first read it in the spring, it's really deeply connected to springtime for me. Almost every year, I get out that copy that I used when I was teaching that has tons of highlights. The pages are falling out by now. There's bookmarks all throughout it. And I give it a reread every year because I just adore it. That is
1: fantastic. I love that visual of your highlighted copy, like going to shreds. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Would you tell us how you introduced Gatsby? juniors in high school to kind of hook them on what they were getting into.
0: This is where that splendid heartbreak really came back to serve me. (laughs) 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 Because I would start my lecture for them, I would start by quoting like the first paragraph of Nick Carraway's narration of the story. And so I would, I would recite that for them. And then I would say, you know, the first time I read Gatsby, I was just like you, I was a junior in high school. I was like staring out the window and dreaming about prom. And I totally didn't get it. Because when I first read The Great Gatsby. I had never had my heart broken. And in fact, the boy that I was dating when I read The Great Gatsby, he's the one that would end up breaking my heart. And I think to really understand Gatsby, you have to have had your heart broken at least once. And some of the boys in the room, but like almost all of the girls would be like, wait, what? (laughs) You're talking about heartbreak? My heart has been broken. I am ready for Gatsby. (laughs) So that was a little hook that I used uh, to kind of get them interested. We would kind of use that as an entryway into Gatsby. And then as the novel unfolded, we would move into those bigger themes of, you know, class and um, whether or not you can ever rise above your station that you're born into and the American dream and all of those things.
1: Was it easier for kids to dive in when you gave them that emotional door?
0: I really do think so. I think that 16 and 17 year olds, um, they may be completely uninterested in what some of the universal themes are in Gatsby that are very clearly there, but they get that like the drama of relationship. They live in that world. And so I found it was a really great segue to get them into at least to give Gatsby a chance. That sounds like a bumper sticker. (laughs) I support it. I I want that bumper sticker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Megan, what's book two? My second book is by Rainbow Rowell, and it is her novel, Carry On. Now, I know, and this was not your favorite book. In fact, I think you didn't finish it. Is that right? That is true. And do you want to
1: hear the worst part? That's gonna, oh, yeah, I made it to like 82%. At which which point I was like, you know what? I've been done for a long time. I'm just done. I don't care how close I am. Well, especially because I've been told that it loses steam well past the point where I had Mm -hmm. abandoned it. And I love uh, a lot of Rainbow Rowell's works. The one that I was most ambivalent about was Fangirl. Okay, so maybe it's no surprise, but yeah. I think yeah, some people talked me into trying carry on, and by golly, I did. But here we are, <laughs> and it wasn't to my taste, but it was to yours. To tell us yes. more.
0: So after my twins were born, I went through a really long, dark season of postpartum depression. It was really bad. We'll just leave it at that. Um, At towards the end of that season, I picked up Fangirl. I had never heard of Rainbow Rowell before. It was the first time I'd heard of her. I picked up Fangirl. I read it. I loved it. Like, I super big, huge, really loved it. And it was really the first moment that felt like like a little bit of light was coming into the darkness of postpartum depression for me. So I personally have, like, really big, very tender feelings about both the book Fangirl, which I did love, and Mm -hmm. Rainbow Rowell. She just – I don't know. Her writing, her approach, her all of it, it just hits all of my notes. So – but I didn't choose Fangirl for the list. I deliberated so much if I was going to choose Fangirl or Carry On. I went with Carry On because, first of all, I do love young adult fiction fiction. Um, YA fiction is sort of home base for me. I read a ton of nonfiction. But if I'm going to read fiction, I almost always go back to some kind of YA. And it can be YA fantasy, it can be YA magical realism, or just regular realism. (laughs) (laughs) I love all of the YA. So okay, so for anyone who's not familiar with Rainbow Rowell's Carry On, I know it's been discussed a few times on your show, but it's a YA fantasy about young magicians at a magical boarding school. And in it, she kind of picks up these threads of a fan fiction story that one of her characters in Fangirl uh, wrote about. And so she picks up those threads and really fills out the story then and Carry on. And I was really disoriented the first probably third of the book because I did not immediately get what was going on. I was like, This feels like it's a straight up knockoff of Harry Potter, but I like, I trust Rainbow Rowell. I don't think that's what she's doing here. Mm -hmm. So I kind of push back against that a little bit. So I kept reading. And once I got settled in, I realized, as I was reading, that just like all fan fiction, that Carry On is like, it's a pushback against the tropes, um, the literary norms that we just kind of consider to be business as usual in published writing. So I think that Carry On is a really ambitious piece of writing that gently pushes back against some of those accepted norms in the fantasy genre. Like, why are there so few people of color? Why are all the stories so heteronormative? Why do these big like school headmaster types Um, get to wreak havoc in the lives of children for the greater good. And what's going to happen to these savior children as they grow up, (laughs) you know, like what kind of psychic weariness are they going to go through? (laughs) Um, And so I think that like Gatsby that carry on, it can be read simply for the narrative and how it unfolds across 500 pages. But I think that there's actually more there. And I think that she does a great job of really exploring and in some ways exploding those tropes that so much of fantasy and so much of why literature have been built on. Well, that sounds downright lofty when you put it like that. (laughs) I really do. And I whenever I know a friend is reading it, I'm like, read it. And then let's talk because I have a lot of words about what she's really doing and carry on. Do you feel like most people see what you see in the book? I don't think so. I don't, because I feel like those are not discussions that I see, at least maybe, maybe it's in my circle of friends or the people that I have the most conversation with about books. Um, I don't know if people immediately get it. And I don't know if it's just the way my ENFP brain works that I'm just going to go straight to those big ideas Uh and like sort of in a meta way, parse through what she's doing with the narrative. I don't know. But that's what I got from it. And that's how it landed on my list. When you share these ideas about like
1: subverting the narrative, wow, that sounds super Hamilton, doesn't it? How does that land with the people you talk to? Are they
0: like, huh? Or are they like, oh my gosh, you're totally right. Um, You know, I think people are open to that. I really do. I think especially people who are disappointed with how the narrative plays out. And it's, I mean, it's not a perfect book by any means. I'm sure that Rainbow Rowell would say, you know, it's not meant to be held up as the the perfect YA subversive novel. Um, but I think when people are a little disappointed with how the narrative shapes up and plays out in the end, I do think they're more open to that conversation of, but wait, let's stop for a second and let's look at what's happening in the book and see how it is really meant to upset and disturb those tropes that we find to be so predictable and so comforting. I like it. Megan, what's book three? The third book on my list is nonfiction. And in in my real life reading life, like I said before, I'm so top heavy in nonfiction because I am a sucker for people's stories. I love them. I cannot get enough of them. The third book on my list is Brennan Manning's The Ragamuffin Gospel. So if you are not familiar with Brendan Manning, with his writing, he was a former Franciscan priest who wrote, um, I don't know, a number of powerful books about the Christian faith. And most importantly, and the reason that they had such a profound impact on me, all of his books, really, but especially Ragamuffin Gospel, is because he is so super honest And authentic about talking about his struggles in life, he was an alcoholic, and his, um, his missteps, his mistakes, the things that he did that he had deep regrets about all of that plays such a huge role In how he writes about faith. And so for me, somebody who grew up in a very black and white evangelical approach to the Christian faith that did not do a good job of acknowledging the true, like the darkness of life and the heartache and the, in our own personal failings as humans. When I read Ragamuffin gospel, it completely shook my whole system of belief um, to, to read what he writes about grace and mercy and love that he doesn't try to hide his mistakes. And not only does he not try to hide them, he actually sees them, our mistakes and the darkness in our life as our path to a loving God. And so it was super life-changing for me. The Ragamuffin Gospel was, it, I I love all of those spiritual memoirs that kind of push back. So like Don Miller's Blue Like Jazz, Shane Claiborne's Irresistible Revolution, Sarah Bessie's Jesus Feminist, all of those that... Again, maybe maybe it's I'm just about subversive things. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> there is a pattern here. And, yep, yep, yep. That kind of challenge you to rethink what you always thought was true and the way things had to be. I love all of those.
1: Have you read his last memoir,
0: All is Grace? I think there's I,
1: ragamuffin in the subtitle, like a, a ragamuffin memoir, maybe.
0: I have not read it. I have wanted to, but there's this part of me that's like, once I read that, I'll have read of Brennan Manning. And I feel sad about that. And so I never have read the last one.
1: I haven't read Ragamuffin, but I have read the memoir, which um, hits on many of the same things you you talked about, like he unpacks how his alcoholism affected his life and how his marriage um, worked and then it didn't. Mm -hmm. And it, it I mean, it's beautiful and completely gutting. All at yeah. the same time, and he had a co-author on that one. I think it's John Blaze. It is John Blaze. Yes, okay. that's right. Because he said that he just couldn't, he couldn't write anymore the way he wanted to write. He couldn't hold the narrative any longer in his head, and it was just yeah. so, so sad. I mean, mm. it's beautiful, but it's so sad. Oh, yeah. Okay. So one day, put it on your list. Yes. make A box
0: of tissues. Definitely. Definitely. So yeah, like I said, I just I love memoir. I love people's stories. And listen, I love Jenny Lawson's Let's Pretend This Never Happened just as much as I love Brennan Manning's writing. It doesn't necessarily have to be about the spiritual life or the Christian faith. I just am obsessed with people's real life stories and, and how they play out over time. So yeah, but I, I felt like ragamuffin gospel was the best representation of that.
1: Okay, so why people do what they do and how they work it through? Yes, exactly. Excellent. All right, Megan, I want to hear your big feelings about the book you hated.
0: Okay. I want to preface this by saying I really do feel like I'm a pretty generous reader. I do not quit books easily and it's not out of like principle. Like I don't think I'm like some awesome reader because I don't quit them easily. I really think it was, it's just training like as an English major, as an English major Later, an English teacher, I have read a lot of books that I did not particularly care for, like Moby Dick comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) But I just had to do it. And so it takes a lot for me to leave a book unfinished. This is one that I don't even know if I made it a third of the way in and I quit. It is Julia Pierpont's Among the Ten Thousand Things. It is this family dysfunction of the literary fiction realm. And it was recommended to me by... Seth Haynes. And I felt like it was so completely humorless and took itself way too seriously. I, I'm not I don't mind reading about hard things. I can, I give me the darkness. I can handle it. I can handle tough situations, bad circumstances, but I definitely, I need for there to be a little sparkle, sprinkled in to keep me going. And I felt like this book had nothing that was sparkling. There was, and it doesn't have to be happy things that are sparkling. I, I just need something that pops on the page. I felt like among the 10,000 things did not pop in any way for me was so (laughs) dull. It was so dull. And again, it wasn't even the content. It was just so humorless. And so it landed here on this list as the book that I hated.
1: I read that after Seth recommended it also. And yeah, it was pretty bleak without the like wry
0: observations you get
1: from some internal characters in a lot of the book that goes like, hey, look how bleak this is. Like, you know, with a little elbow. Exactly. Yeah. None of that.
0: Okay. None of that. And I need, I gotta have, you gotta give me something. If we're going to be in dark situations and bad circumstances, you gotta give me a little something there. And it just (laughs) didn't have it for me.
1: (laughs) Something to work with. So what happens in this book for listeners who haven't read it is we have a married couple on the Upper West Side. And one day we have a cardboard box arrive on the wife's doorstep while she's home. And it's a bunch of email printouts from his mistress chronicling uh, the relationship she didn't know about. And then from that point forward, it is just, it yeah. falls apart and it never gets yep. put back together. And that is not a spoiler. It's right. probably on the cover. <laughs> so,
0: yes, I think that's right. <laughs> oh, there are children, which makes everything worse. Exactly. And, yep. Okay. Megan, yeah. what are you reading right now? Okay. I'm so excited. I have really challenged myself to read more fiction this year. So I picked up Robbie Alamedine's An An Unnecessary Woman. It is a beautiful and smart and snappy, sort of like book about books. You know how that's kind of a genre in, in fiction. And so Robbie is a Lebanese American writer and her narrator in An Unnecessary Woman is a Lebanese woman who has spent her whole life running a small bookstore in Beirut. And it is filled with beautiful glimpses And hard glimpses. I mean, there's hard stuff for sure about life in Beirut in the 20th century. Um, I traveled to Lebanon and spent a week in Beirut last fall. I love Lebanon. And she, uh, Robbie, as she's writing, she writes these beautiful descriptions of these different neighborhoods in Beirut and just the everyday life there. Oh, it's dreamy. I love it so much. I don't think you have to have visited Lebanon or love anything Lebanese to hmm. uh, to, to latch onto this book because she also writes so passionately about books and reading and um, letters and just uh, if you love books about books, you have to read An Unnecessary Woman. It's fantastic. Um, nonfiction wise, I picked up a book called An Anthropology of Turquoise by Ellen Malloy. Like I said, it's nonfiction. It's gorgeous. It's gorgeous like nature writing, if that makes sense. Ellen Malloy has passed away, but she was a naturalist. And this is a collection of essays. It's super slow moving for me because it's one of those books that you just really want to dwell on each paragraph. Her words, her prose, the construction is gorgeous. But essentially, it's an exploration of people and culture and landscapes all tied back to the color turquoise. I'm going to just tell you, I picked it up because turquoise is my favorite color. And I thought, huh, somebody wrote a whole book about (laughs) turquoise and it is gorgeous. And I'm right in the middle of it. It's going to take me a while because I just want to absorb the beauty of her language.
1: Well, it doesn't hurt that the cover is amazing.
0: It's beautiful. It is. It is. So Yeah, those are two I'm working on right now. I usually have a few others floating in the background. In fact, I got an advanced reader copy from an author, a friend of a friend who has written a few books in adult contemporary fiction, and she's transitioning to YA. And she asked me as an avid YA reader to give it a look. So I've got that going on too. But those are the two main ones that I'm really working through right now.
1: Okay. All right. That's a lot to work with. I like the sound of this. Well, I have ideas for you and we will get to them right after the break.
0: Megan welcome back yes I can't wait for this part I'm so excited to hear what you have for me
1: well I can't wait to hear what you think okay I feel I feel like I get you Megan Teets So not completely, you're not an open book, but I just, I, I love, I'm a wannabe ENFP. I'm not an (laughs) ENFP. I'm an INFP. And every once in a while, I think I have the extroverted intuition. I could be an ENFP, but I am so not an ENFP. So thank (laughs) you for giving me the vicarious experience (laughs) to recommend books to an ENFP who has big feelings about everyone else's interior emotional ongoing happening thingies. Like this is just a lot of fun for me.
0: I'm going to capture that last sentence and like put it on my business card. <laughs>
1: <laughs> how That's will you spell the... thingy? That's the question.
0: <laughs> That's the most gracious way anybody's ever explained how I approach books and reading. So,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, we have to dive right in to the first author I have in mind for you. And if you've read everything, then we can just gush about it together because we okay. need to unpack it. What okay. do you know about the author Taylor Jenkins Reid? No, nothing. <gasps> I've read nothing. This makes me so happy. Okay, here is what I love about Taylor Jenkins Reid for you. So, she is a contemporary author. She writes adult fiction. If you like the phrase chick lit, or whether you hate the phrase chick lit, you know what I'm talking about when I say those are the shelves she will be on. So, we're looking at women's fiction that is maybe not light hearted, but definitely light in tone, like easy reading. You can totally toss these in your beach bag. I can totally
0: dig it. I love those books.
1: So she has written, well, her fifth book is coming out this summer, and it's a little different. That's historical. We're not going there now. I haven't read it yet. But her four okay. previous books, they're about relationships. And I think that if a book could be ENFP, this, these books are. Okay, and here's okay. why. Hey, I love it.
0: Yes, let's hear it. We have
1: books that on the surface are like glitter, sparkle, fun, crazy, ooh, spontaneous. But deep below, we have these like big picture serious questions about how should we live our lives? What does it mean to be in love? What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to make a relationship work? And, you know, is there really only one true (gasps) love to borrow one of her book titles? So I really like these for you because they definitely have like spark and pop and sparkle. But there is meat, maybe several layers below the surface for some of them, because and so they sound super cheesy on the surface. But so many people who give these a try are like, Oh, I'm sucked in don't bother me until I finish this chapter or better yet, these next 325 pages. Oh, my gosh, you totally get me. I cannot wait to okay. try these out. Yay! Here are your warnings. Um, okay. They sound, maybe not they sound, they are, they can be, a little melodramatic. So I'm just going to go with her most recent book, okay? It's okay. called One True Loves. It came out last summer, 2016. And did you see the Tom Hanks movie, Castaway? Yes, of course. Okay. This is like Castaway. Okay. But Tom Hanks comes back before
0: the wedding. Oh, okay. I am so on board with this book, and okay, I like it.
1: I'm like gearing up to like gush into the description, but I'm so afraid I'm gonna tell you too much. So I have to be really careful here to tell okay. you so that you don't feel like you already got the cliff notes version. Why do you even have to bother? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so our main character, her name is Emma. She marries her high school sweetheart. It's like textbook, perfect, young love, they get married. They're in love. Everything is rosy or maybe peachy because the cover's peach. That is so cheesy, but we're just going to go with it. (laughs) Then you'll remember what to look for in the bookstore. That's right. Her husband disappears when he's off on a snazzy National Geographic kind of work assignment. And after a certain period of time, she's like, he's gone. And she goes in the morning and they bury him or they have a service and she goes on with her life. And she comes from a family that happens to operate an independent bookstore. So she moves back home and she starts working in the bookstore. So any book lovers will really enjoy that element. And I am dying to know what Taylor Jenkins Reed personal connection is to books and bookstores and reading, because always in her book, there was something really important that happens like around a book and there's just a super sweet um section in this book and I won't tell you what it is but just something really touching involving books and reading that Emma's parents do for her and you'll get there and you'll go oh that's the sweetest thing I've ever heard and then you can just keep reading but you're gonna have to read it yourself to find out So okay so she has her um she decides to move on and she creates a new life for herself and she gets engaged and then her husband is found and so she's obviously faced with this like oh please let that never happen to me kind of moment and we go from there
0: i am yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yes (laughs) (laughs) i won't say anything else do you have anything to add do you have words It sounds positively
0: charming, and I cannot wait to dive in. All right.
1: Well, if you love it, there are soon to be four more where that came from. Awesome. Okay. Book two, Change of Pace. Have you read Atonement by Ian McEwen? No, I sure haven't. Okay. So I want to recommend this because, you know, it's weirdly like, maybe not like, but cousins to One True Loves, like the grown-up cousin. That went to fancy British school and ah, you know, okay, a little yes. more highbrow. This is a tricky book, it's not quite what you expected. I don't want to say super tons about it because I feel like that might give things away. But, um, we have a novel that feels very Gatsby to me, and that it's so, it's just so wistful, you know, ah, there's just this yes. aura of what might've been in love and longing and loss and oh, angst. Yes.
0: I, you know what, Anne, on my Spotify, I have a whole playlist called love and angst. Oh because my God. I love I love angst so much. <laughs> well, Fire
1: that up to get in the mood and then open up this book. So what happens in the beginning, and I'm not going to go too far into it, but we have a girl who's old enough to fall in love, but isn't, experienced at all. Like, I don't believe it's been a while since I read this book, but I don't believe she's gotten her heart broken yet. And then we have a boy who wants to arrive above his station. He's the son of a servant who works on the property and is just completely in love with her. And he, when the book opens, we have him at his typewriter, like typing her up a note. And at a certain point he's like, Oh, I can't do this. I'm saying everything wrong. Screw it. And he types up what he really wants to say to her and then can you see what happens next it's like a one yeah 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 it's like a sliding doors moment except the book is not like that he gives her the wrong note so that sets us down a path that seems inevitable what could be done oh my goodness like oh we're just all in so much trouble here um involving a whole bunch of other characters in the book and this is tricky because what you think Is going to happen, doesn't happen. And what you think happens, doesn't, I don't want to, I don't want to say too much. I just want to say that if you love Gatsby and you want something that's going to make you tell teenagers, (laughs) let's examine broken hearts. um, I think this would be a good one. And also I have to put in a plug for Rules of Civility by Amor Tolles. Have you read that? I have read that. Yes. Okay. Did you like it? I loved it. Okay. I well, did. Yes. We could set up a nice little trio of Gatsby, Atonement, and Rules
0: of Civility. I think they go great together. They'd be buds. They'd have yes. coffee. Because I that. like that. Yes. Yeah. This sounds like a fantastic read-alike for Gatsby. So I am all in on that too. Yes.
1: Well, sometimes I'm leery of read-alikes because I think, well, I already read that book. I don't want to read it ah, again. I enjoyed yeah. it. But yeah, it totally is. I get what you're yeah. saying. I shouldn't have argued with you.
0: Ah, maybe you want to take that up. <laughs> okay. No, no, I get it.
1: <laughs> all right. Book three, have you read Special Topics in Calamity Physics by Marisha Pessel? No, I have not, oh, but okay. this sounds fascinating. Have you heard about it? No, I haven't heard anything. But that's a fantastic title, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. I can't remember why it's actually called Special Topics in Calamity Physics, and it hasn't actually been all that long since I've read it. Okay, so I've been reading this for like maybe 10 years and finally read it this summer. Here's why I like it for you. It's unexpected. It's um, big feelings. I don't believe it's technically, like if you go to your bookstore, I don't think it's going to be shelved YA, but there's something I can't quite put my finger on that feels very YA about it. And our narrator is is a teen. Her name, I think you'll like this. Her name is Blue. Blue there, yeah, it's a nickname for something. It might have to do with a butterfly, and she is a teen. she's been moving. shoot, how much do I tell you, Megan, to not put you off?
0: <laughs> give it, give it to me. I can take it okay i'm I'm already intrigued by the title I have to tell you, so.
1: <laughs> it's a great title. Okay, so what this really is is a like sparkly pop art, The Secret History, by Donna Tart. okay. It takes a big left turn, like at the maybe 70% mark that I totally didn't see coming. Um, It's kind of snappy, it's smart. We have a teen who's kind of an outsider who slowly gets sucked into this um, almost dead poet society.
0: Oh my gosh. I
1: love this trope. I love the whole thing. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm stopping there. (laughs) I'm so afraid to say too much.
0: I also, I do love a book that takes a left turn. I really, truly love that. I don't mind being completely thrown off. And I, I don't even mind if I feel like a book betrays me at the end. I love that unexpected thing. So if there's a left turn in it, yes, I, I, will, I will find it. <laughs> I love that. I'd love to see a list.
1: If, if you could just, you know, spend a few hours and compile a list for me, I would really enjoy reading that. <laughs> okay, are you ready for book four? Yes. You know, we only give three books on this podcast, but I feel like this doesn't really count because it's not coming out till July. But- um, Oh my goodness, okay. (laughs) Have you ever read anything by Jocelyn Jackson? No, I sure haven't. Okay, well, put on your list, high priority for summer 2017. She has a new book coming out that I just finished. It's called The Almost Sisters. And we have a female comics author and illustrator, So she's already pretty badass, like in saving the world in her, you know, a hundred percent. Yes. Yes, exactly. Who gets pregnant at a comic con kind of event. Oh my gosh. An unexpected pregnancy. (laughs) This book was created for me. Keep going. (laughs) Her baby's going to be biracial. Okay. She comes from a small Southern town with deeply entrenched prejudices. Okay. So she goes home to take on um simmering race issues in her town while coming to grips with the fact that she's about to have a child who to the world will be black.
0: Wow. So she's completely subverting culture at every turn, basically. So you get why I thought of you, right? Uh huh. Okay. I do. I do. I forgot to tell you I'm reading Roller Girl right now too with my girls. So oh, fun. Um oh wow. The almost I can't sisters. believe that I have to wait till the summer for this.
1: July twenty seventeen. <laughs> Uh, it'll be worth the wait for you. Yeah, it sounds like it. I really like her stuff.
0: I think you would too.
1: Of those three and a half, four picks, what do you think you'll read next?
0: I'm going to tell you, I forgot to tell you too, that I'm also reading um, Otessa Moshfig's Homesick for Another World, the um, collection of short stories that was was a selection for Book of the Month Club.
1: How are you liking that? I think I have
0: three copies of that in my house and I haven't picked it up. Just it's dark. It is disturbing it, everyone who says it's a read-alike for Flannery O'Connor, yes, that's it. It's it's disturbing. I love it. It's only got a few threads of hopefulness, but it definitely has that thing. It's not humorless at all. It's not bleak. Like the writing, it's really great. So even though the characters, you're like, you are a terrible person. Uh, the writing redeems all of it. But it's really dark. It it really is. And so to kind of balance that out and bring a little, um, maybe, a, a, something lighter to my brain. I think I'm going to go with one true loves. I love it. I can't wait to hear what you think. Yes. I cannot wait to dig in. Okay. Thanks for talking books with me today. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Hey readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Megan today. Make sure to check out her podcast. Sorta awesome on iTunes or at sort you can connect with her on Instagram and Twitter, both at Sorta Awesome Meg. If you have a recommendation of your own for Megan, or if you have a thought about what I recommended, head to the podcast site to let her know in the comments. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 66. And it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Anne Bogle. That is Anne with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.